2: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast with you currently as always for the second week in a row, Steve Haller, third week in a row, sorry, check that, Steve Haller, uh, and joining me as per usual, Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman. What's going on guys?
0: We're really smart about going live when there's NFL football action going on, right? Let's do that again in two
2: weeks. Yeah, totally. (laughs) At least uh, for for better or for worse, nobody here has any rooting interests left, so that's a thing. Steve is right now literally the meme of
1: the smiling man mask and crying angry tears behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... No, he's
0: the, Pal- he's the Palpatine meme that's just going, ironic. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> All the above? Because uh... for, for those weekly people that tuned in last week, you saw me very happy at halftime of the Bills Chiefs game <laughs> last week. Boy, oh, my. did that turn quickly. <laughs> Things went sideways. Um, well, well, actually, no. That was, that was a... Well, no. Mahomes got Allen, and then Allen got Mahomes. The <laughs> then Mahomes got Allen, and then Allen got Mahomes. <laughs> right. And then, you know, we lose the chance at an AFC championship because of a coin flip. But I'm not bitter. It's okay.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I felt like a lot of what happened this week with Mahomes was just karma. Uh, just a lot of ball bouncing back the way that it probably should have bounced at least once in the Buffalo game. But... Uh, I now have to live with the fact that the Steelers are not the most recent AFC North team to go to a Super Bowl. That b- now belongs to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, yeah, let's talk about a different you can almost hear Andy, You can almost hear Andy, like, throwing up in his mouth as he said that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have forever called them the Bungles, and now Same. that just feel that feels like me being sad and angry, and I can't, like, it's not funny anymore. So that joke is officially dead, and uh, I now have to respect them. Uh, which you, See, know I, you... I, so as a Jets fan, I'm just filled with a lifetime
0: of sadness. So <laughs> <laughs> it really just rounds it all together perfectly.
1: And in other nudes of sadness, I think this was uh, with the with the eliminations that took place last week. there are officially no more uh, NFL, or there are no more Syracuse players on any of the NFL rosters or training camp uh, or rookie. Sorry, why am I blanking on rookie camps? I'm looking for practice squads. That's the word I'm looking for on any of the NFL teams left. Uh, so if you are not an NFL fan, uh, but only a Syracuse fan, uh, you can now officially stop caring. So,
0: there was a Cortland. You, there was a Cortland uh, State uh, former player who is the coach. Who is a coach on the Bengals? There so,
1: you go. Cortland State, State made it further than Syracuse City. in football. The NY You know who, your, You know who is still your, alive uh, though.
2: Yeah, you know who is still alive in their respective teams' playoffs. Uh, three Syracuse alums that played today in mm-hmm. a very, very ugly match of soccer. Uh, yeah,
0: gonna, I'm glad I didn't tune into that. <laughs> oh, I watched Let's... all
2: two hours of it. But, um, uh, Steve, did you watch in English or in Spanish?
1: Because I do not have Paramount Plus, so mm, I watched. A, a, I watched uh, Telemundo.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was Paramount Plus. Um, we. Yeah, the, it's a good investment for Champions League if nothing else. Not, I wish we were sponsored by Paramount Plus, but we're not. Uh, but they're a decent, they're a decent, uh, decent streaming service. However, uh, I got to watch that mess in English with Moadu calling it, which he's decent, so it works. Um, the the for anyone who did not tune in or is not aware of uh, the Syracuse football program or football program over the last uh, oh say. 11 years, 12 years now? Can't remember when Mac popped on popped on the ship. But uh, things have been up, and we've sent a lot of players to the pros. And with all those professional players, that also means that three orange were on the World Cup qualifying roster for the U.S. and Canada. Uh, today, they faced off at 330. Um, Tayshaun Buchanan and Kamal Miller uh, started for Canada. And Miles Robinson started for our United States of America at center back. Unfortunately, in the sixth minute, Miles Robinson got turned right around. Having for for who one who has been probably the most stalwart and consistent player through all of U.S. qualifying to have a bad game today was was a little rough. But um, Miles gave up the uh, the, the first goal. Uh, ultimately, there was a second goal at the end of. Uh, End of stoppage uh, in, the, I think, the 94th minute, 95th minute. Um, but the, uh, the U.S. went behind in the sixth minute. Tejon looked really good all day. Uh was still running like it was the fifth minute in the 95th minute. Uh, and Kamal, we didn't hear his name, which for a center back usually means good things. So Yeah,
1: I was going to say, I, it, it's really up, not upsetting, but it's just kind of disappointing that this game had a lot of eyeballs and a lot of interest because uh, for those who might not be following the World Cup qualifying, um, with the new format uh, in play this year for this year's cycle, there are more teams uh, that are going to get in from North America uh, into the World Cup. And the U.S. is not necessarily in danger of not qualifying. However, there, Costa Rica is having an uncharacteristically down year Canada is the top team of North America at the moment and has been for most of the cycle. So the margins are getting a little bit tighter. And the US is now looking at having to have some must-win games, which is causing some PTSD for those who remember the last time. The USA had a must-win game towards the end of a World Cup qualifying cycle. Uh, So this was a game where the US was going to go to Canada, which really wasn't that much of a road trip or that hostile of a road trip due to the game only being at half capacity. Uh, due to COVID restrictions in Ontario. And not only did the U.S. come out flat, but Miles, who has carried this club in a lot of the non-World Cup qualifying competitions that have taken place, uh, one remembers is run in the Gold Cup and in the Nations League, it just really sucks that on this game where everybody was probably a little bit more hyper-focused than usual, Miles had arguably his worst game uh, in the in the red, white, and blue. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, Tejon continued to do Tejon things, which has been be the most electric player. He might not be the one to get on the score sheet, but he was definitively the one. Having him and Jordan Morris on the same side of the field was like watching two sprinters just sit in the blocks and then go as soon as the ball uh, was launched generally
2: towards their direction. <laughs> All right, run. Okay. Stop running. Run. Do, okay. Go. Do it again. Now, who the heck thought that we would open this
1: with soccer? I mean, that's the three of us, and one of us is wearing a Dortmund kit. So,
2: right. for those and watching the live, not, not
0: just not just any Dortmund cl- kit, not just any Dortmund kit, a Christian Pulisic Dortmund ah. kit.
2: And ah. I guess you know I have a Syracuse keeper jersey right behind me, so. <laughs> I guess we're bound to talk soccer. However, uh, there were other sports that did
0: This is the soccer division of News Magicians. This is true.
2: I (laughs) technically in my byline have soccer writers, so I guess that does fit. Uh, However, there were other sports. Uh, Do we continue down the obscure sports because they tie into major sports? We might as well. Okay. On the weird. let's... Let's stick on the weird. We're, we're gonna bury the lead for basketball because all
1: you people who are, who are waiting for basketball, we're gonna make sure that you you listen a little bit longer. Get that engagement <laughs> rate up. Come on, we're new to this game. We're, we're gonna be openly exploitive to prove that we get better numbers than the last two guys. Um, track and field. New, new podcast, <laughs> who does? Uh, our friend Kevin Wall is not here to give us the full rundown of all track and field events. However, there was a pretty big thing that happened this week in track and field. Um, I do not know the exact details, so I'll turn them over to Christian for it, because he was the one that kind of found the video first. Uh, our friend Sean Tucker is running track this winter. We kind of talked about this a few weeks ago on the live cast, and we had an article about it up on the site, um, seemed to get lots of interest because people are really intrigued that a man as large as Sean Tucker is running track events. Um... Sean Tucker ran his first meet uh, at Virginia Tech, and he finished middle of the pack in the uh, 60-meter dash, which, as Steve said on the show, he's carrying probably 50 to 60 pounds more weight than everybody else running, so that's a pretty impressive showing. And Uh, if you doubt that fact, just
0: look at the video that Tommy Sladek (laughs) from CNY Central tweeted out. Because
2: that is astoundingly true. Oh, yeah. And in, in that video, he is facing off against fellow Orange and freshman, I can't remember his name. Trey uh, Good. That would be it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to screw it up, so I figured you had it right there. Uh, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so um, when you look at the two of them side by side, <laughs> there's a dramatic difference. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's basically like me standing next to Pregler. It's just, <laughs> it's 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 astounding. Um,
1: and All right, Andy, what's your next trip to Q's? So I need to get that photo immediately. <laughs> I mean, I there's a no, there's a couple of them at soccer games uh, yep. where it is it is a thing. It's actually it, you know what? Uh, shout out to our friend Gumby Ryan Henry. It's really more like if I stood next to Gumby.
2: Well, that's uh, those pictures are usually, I believe, uh, me and then you and then Gumby, and it's mildly hilarious.
1: Yes, uh, Gumby. For those who do not know, is somebody who looks like he probably should have been a former offensive lineman. Uh, instead, he was a former cheerleader at Syracuse, and he could throw people very high up in the air. Mm. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, uh, Christian, I Sean Tucker did good—not just like good, good, but really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um,
0: he in the in the finals of the 60 meter dash, Tucker is running in the 60 meters. Um, he finished second behind Thorogood, the other Syracuse runner. Um, Thorogood was 6.82, and Tucker was 6.92. Um, that's almost a tenth improvement from his first meet, which is, for a guy who hasn't sprinted in a probably good two two years, probably, two, three years, because Tucker did run track in high school, yep. like, that's pretty good. Um, this was at Cornell against um, other New York uh, D1 opponents in Buffalo and Binghamton. Um assuming Cornell was there as well, because they were hosting the event. Um, Fair assumption, but, I'd like, say. Yeah, but... <laughs> Again, to, to play second in only your second event, back to running track semi-full-time, it's pretty good. And then yeah. when you consider that this dude is just muscle <laughs> and is significantly at a different body build than the other leaner, more aerodynamic, you could say, track body that you would like to have your track runners to have. Yeah, <laughs> it's, he, he's not yeah, it's a sprinter. Quite, it's, quite a sight, it's quite a sight to see when you have a guy who was 5'10", but just 210 pounds of full muscle running down a lane at you.
2: Yeah, I say he's not a sprinter. He is a sprinter. He's just not built like a sprinter. <laughs> no. He's built like a Mack truck, so. Yeah. I, I'm just legitimately curious. We've seen this happen more and
1: more, Um, not to bring up old wounds, but you know, we've seen it in some NFL games uh, very recently where like skill position guys clearly have elite speed and not just in the, oh, these guys are fast, but in they they get to another level and they just run past guys that should actually tackle them in a normal situation. And it's I'm starting to dream a little bit of, of Tucker, who was pretty good last year, but I would argue probably one of Tucker's biggest flaws as a runner is that he he lacks explosiveness in like um, I'm to go bring an NFL comparison. He reminds me a lot of like a Najee Harris, like he's going to hit the hole. He's going to get consistent yards, but he's not going to be that guy that's all of a sudden going to rip off a 40 yard run out of a decent sized hole because he didn't have that second gear of speed that he turn on once he got to the second level. And to be fair, like you look at Tucker's body and you look at what Syracuse was asking him to do, that was never really in the cards and it was never really a thing against him. It's just more of the like, what are you asking this elite guy to do next to take his game to a whole other level? It certainly seems like he's doing everything in his power to get that skill set developed. And I'm just intrigued because it does take Tucker from a running back that is you know, definitely going to the NFL, but probably not getting picked until the second or third day because of the way that the NFL looks at running backs, to he might be a special kind of player and athlete who teams just have to
2: take a chance on because of the elite skills that he's bringing to the table. Well, dare I say, because um, we've talked a lot about how how Tucker runs, and he's a very much one cut and go. And when you make that turn and you commit... Yes, sometimes he has to hit, you know, drop a shoulder and hit that power, the the power button. Uh, but there's other times where that sprinter start is perfect for him because he dips that shoulder and he just he he has that immediate explosiveness that really, really can, you know, uh, open up that hole. And that that cut, that one cut and go style uh, at the next level, too, works extremely well like uh, there's been a lot of backs that have made quite a career off of that. Um, hi, Adrian Peterson. How are you? Uh, <laughs> but it, I mean, this can only add the development of him. And, and I would assume the big thing is like you're saying, not getting to top speed, but sustaining top speed for that period of time. This can only help him, you know, in the long run with that breakaway after he gets past the second level. He kind of
0: has that once he... Once he reaches that uh, top speed, like it real but he reaches it kind of quickly and then it kind of plateaus. He doesn't have that kind of gets to top speed and then explodes even further like mm-hmm. some of the other running backs does. But that's Tucker's style, and it works out pretty well. So yep. I don't think anyone's complaining, and especially if he can <laughs> improve like this, it's pretty good for the football team.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's not a not a bad situation for him to be in. So not at, not at all. And
1: uh, he's uh, you know, we're going to continue to talk about football here because there was a lot of football news that happened this week. He's yeah. getting some reinforcements on the offensive side of the ball in the coaching staff. Um, it was reported this week that Syracuse football is expected to hire Michael Johnson from FAU as the wide receiver coach. The original report came from Pete Thamel. Uh, Stephen Bailey confirmed uh, through his sources. I don't think we've seen an official announcement from the school yet. Uh, But on his on his Twitter
0: page, he has been
1: he tweeted on
0: his Twitter page that he is in the office. So, yeah, I would assume that that's probably
1: coming soon. Then, if at all, that was this week. Yep, that was. Oh,
2: Steve, there's so much news that happened this week. (laughs) There's a couple other football
0: things that there's a couple other football things that happened this week.
2: Yeah, I knew I knew the next couple were happening this week, but I completely forgot that. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, uh, solid, solid get. I mean, he yes, he was with FAU uh, last year and possibly the year before, I think. His son plays there. Uh, yes. His son transferred there from Penn State. However, uh, prior to that, he had quite a quite a career, you know, at, at high-grade schools and in the NFL. So um, he's been around. He's experienced. He's got a good pedigree. And hopefully we have someone that can throw the receivers to the ball so that we actually need a receivers coach.
0: Yeah. yeah, if you if, if want to break it down by numbers-wise, he, he was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach last year for FAU. And that team, although it finished with the same 5-7 and seven record as Syracuse, um, FAU did have Nakosi Perry, who you might remember, was a Miami quarterback and transferred to FAU. And Nakosi Perry threw for about 230 yards per game, yep. which is pretty good. You want a comparison, Garrett Trader only threw for about 120 and also, uh, the wide receivers on that FAU team, uh, three of them had over 400 yards uh, receiving throughout the year. And no one on the Syracuse team got to 400 yards receiving this year. So at least the, FAA, the the offensive numbers looks good. And like Steve said, not just as an NFL coach and a college coach, but he's had experience coaching wide receivers before. So this is not new to him.
1: Yeah. Uh, on all of the Syracuse passing rows, I wrote an article about uh basically passing passing efficiency uh specifically measured using epa and just how important epa is and how the better teams in college football are basically ignoring not necessarily ignoring the running game but they're prioritizing being more efficient in the passing game than being more efficient in the running game and teams with elite rushing attacks are only becoming good to elite offenses with above average, uh, passing attacks as well. So the errors of the era of doing what Syracuse did last year and actually having sustained success is probably gone and they're going to need to see improvement of the passing game in order to get there. Um, so uh, the other part that I think is interesting to talk about is that we officially have the full coaching staff as, as of now. Um, so out were Sterling Gilbert, Reno Ferry, uh, Vance, vince reynolds and terrence samuel and the new coaching staff is now dino babers robert and tony white jason beck mike lynch michael johnson mike schmidt uh chris Etchuff, uh chip west nick munro bob loginski um
2: i think it's it's a really this interesting is also coach. why we normally don't let andy pronounce things
1: yeah, those were all really bad. I should give those to Steve. <laughs> uh, I was I was also gonna say, I think the more interesting thing I'm kind of picking up out of this, this is a really diverse staff, not just in terms of how they look and present themselves, but in their coaching experiences, their backgrounds, uh, what they've done prior to getting to Syracuse, and where they've seen success and how they've seen success with Syracuse. Um, it seems like we've come a long way from the Dino Babers caravan that kind of rolled with him everywhere. And he's really put together, you know, we gave him a lot of flack for that at first, but I want to give him credit here for putting together a really well-rounded staff from a lot of different places that aren't
2: just his friends from the G5 days. You're totally talking about Michael Johnson's uh, playing career in the World Football League, right? Because I'm pretty sure, again, uh, what do we got? 20 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, neither of you are old enough to remember that there was a World Football League. <laughs> yeah, I do not remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, so I had, I had trading cards. All right,
1: <laughs>
0: I, I wasn't old. I wasn't old enough or inundated with Syracuse enough to know that the Denver Broncos' new head coach was a former Syracuse coach.
2: Oh yeah, that's there. that's the other that's that's another drop this week. Uh, former yeah. coach Nathaniel Hackett uh, has been hired as the Denver Broncos head coach. Which uh, to think of where he came from, handing bologna sandwiches to Doug Marone, uh, now like that actually happened. That's incredible. <laughs> following him to Buffalo and then heading to Green Bay and finding success with Aaron Rodgers, and now being named the head coach of the Broncos. Uh, so, I,
1: yeah, I still can't believe that the guy who ran jet sweeps with Jerome, not even a jet sweep, just more like an extended stretch play with Jerome Smith on the goal line. Three straight plays uh, is now a <laughs> NFL head coach, and it's considered a good hire. Uh, I all, all seriousness, props to Hackett. My friends who are Packers fans have said that he's done a really nice job of reinventing the offense and, and evolving it with as Rodgers has evolved and changed as a quarterback. Um, but yeah, I would argue that Hackett being the Syracuse coach to be a head coach, it was pretty far
2: down on the things that I would have wagered money on. <laughs> and here we are.
0: And here we are. So,
2: so t- speaking of the, those those two other guys that used to run this thing, uh, my condolences to Dan, who is a huge Packers fan and mm-hmm. is losing his offensive coordinator. But. You know, nice to see another another former Orange in the ranks. So, exactly. Um, something else to keep an eye
1: on this week. Um, I I wrote a tongue in cheek post about Syracuse hiring a um and anal- a director of analytics. Um, something to note: what is that? Mike Edwards, who was the director of analytics at uh, univers- who is the director of analytics at the University of Virginia, worked pretty closely with the new Syracuse offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach from the University of Virginia. Uh, it was reported in Syracuse.com this week that he has indeed applied for the job. Um, so, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a done deal, but what I am saying is that the timing <laughs> of all this is very aligned with how we've seen things like this run in the past, and it does really seem like whatever A and Beck uh, sold Dino on seems to be a bit more than just a new type of coaching. It seems to be a potential holistic system change, which has me less, not necessarily more or less excited, but far more intrigued about what potentially is coming down,
2: down the pipeline with these two guys. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious. And I'm also curious because much of their success has been predicated on the ball going through the air, two things. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I, I really do hope this works out because uh, I like what they're selling. And it seems like it's a very fun brand of football. And if you can combine that with the penchant of Tony White to be awesome at what he does, uh, then we can maybe have this snowball catch fire.
1: Uh, great old Gurg thing. Um, and speaking of, of Tony White... He got a new defensive player this week because there was more football news to happen.
2: Oh, before Um, you do that, though?
1: Auto basketball people are ripping their hairs out right now.
2: (laughs) Oh, 100%. Before you get there, uh, we do have to uh, tie it all together because the World Football League featured one notable former Orange, Mr. Larry Zonka. Oh, Oh, did not know that. Played for Uh, Memphis.
1: Well, there we go. World Football League... Should have been an orange team. Uh, the, Memphis,
2: the Memphis Southmen. That was the name oh. of the team. Yeah. Uh, they cool. went that's I really know. original.
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Who got paid money to come up with that name? Uh, Christian, talk to us about this new defensive back that Syracuse got for Tony White's defense. Uh, because apparently it's a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. Um,
0: especially when you were coming out of high school and you were 94 rated by 24-7 sports. Um that was Elijah Clark coming out of high school. Um, uh, who was the who was considered the better corner coming out of high school that he was coming out of Camden High School. Consider the fact that the second best quarter coming out of that high school by the recruiting services was one deuce chestnut, and you could kind of see the player that the orange are apparently getting. Um so Elijah Clark, who committed to Rutgers initially and played at Rutgers last year for some time, uh, didn't play after October, I want to say 16th. Yeah, didn't play after October 16th. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but he did, did see games. Um, uh, seven, three, did see action in seven games last year with the Scarlet Knights. Six total tackles, had an interception on a kind of fluky play on a tip drill against Michigan State. Um and also played against Syracuse as well. Didn't seem to be too deep, so he might have been mainly on special teams and as a third option uh, or fourth option cornerback slash defensive back. But, again, comes in very highly rated from his high school days, uh, four stars by uh, 24-7 and rivals. Again, that 94 rating from 24-7, very close to the five-star threshold for yeah. 24-7 as well. Um, and... Like I said, former teammates and very good friends with Deuce Chestnut. Um, so, that that will be a very good pair to have eventually. Um, he, he comes in naturally as a cornerback. Uh, obviously, with Garrett Williams on the other side with Deuce, kind of not a place for him on the outside corner right now, but could very well, with his uh, build, play at any of the safety spots. Probably would be a very good rover to have. Um, and if you need a true williams tight slot corner could very well slot into that area as well Um, but clark looks like a very good pickup to at least bolster a safety and secondary unit that did deal with some depth issues as the caesar season went on later in the year
2: yeah and it's good to see that go official i know we had talked last week about this being a possibility because deuce and tony whitehead Kind of mm-hmm. thrown it out there beforehand, um, and, and yeah, like you said, if we f- we floated, you know, using somebody in that rover position as more of a slot corner, uh, I, I think if nothing if nothing else, even if that turns, even if he turns into a third man rotational corner, like that that turns in that that goes from the drop we used to have to Adrian Cole to having those three guys rotating through, and I, I think that can only be good things. I mean, yes, if he wants to see the field more and wants to move inside, that could probably work too, because like you said, there were some serious depth issues toward the tail end. Um but one way or another getting this kid on the field should be a benefit.
0: Yeah the amount of times John and I face palmed into our hands and typed into slack any time Cole came onto the field. Good lord. Yep.
2: No yeah. so, uh, no offense against A <laughs> no offense
0: against no consider and Cole, but the the talent drop off was immense to say the least
2: well that was i mean and for the longest time we the orange had finally started to get out of that mold of it used to be your starters were good and then as soon as you had to go to the depth it was yep. like you went from here to like there instead of like that step down that you see at most programs through a depth chart um so here's to hoping that this kind of alleviates a little of that um so that makes, I believe, five, yes, five five transfers that came in. Oliver mm-hmm. from uh, Louisville, Villari from Michigan, him, uh, Juwan Price, yep. and
0: TJ Hayes the, wide receiver. Hayes, the wide receiver. There we go.
1: And allegedly, yeah. according to Stephen Bailey, they're targeting some offensive linemen in the
2: portal as well. Um, Which so makes it seemed-
0: Steve just the happiest person in the world. <laughs>
2: It's just a plethora of linemen for me. Um, the uh, Hayes Hayes confuses me because his former coach left and then he showed up.
1: <laughs> it is, listen, recruiting is weird. They're on campus and uh, the Orange need bodies. And we went from being in a situation and I, I kudos to Babers and co. They really reversed what they had said in season. Uh, they said that they didn't really want to hit the portal that hard. They felt faith in recruiting. And then once the season ended and a lot of guys left, uh, they were just like, yeah, no, we're going to hit this portal hard. And we're going to. that's good. Good. Glad you guys came around and changed your mind. You get a uh, transfer before...
2: and you get a transfer and you get a transfer.
1: Before we talk about other Syracuse coaches who seem to have had a change of heart this week, we're <laughs> going to talk about home field apparel. Our wonderful sponsors of the Troy News is an absolute podcast live stream. Uh, you know, you can grab wonderful, vintage, cozy, comfortable uh, apparel for so many schools now. Uh, seems like most of your favorite schools or most schools that you would care about are now under the home field umbrella. And a lot uh, of dying- them that you wouldn't care about, which makes it even yeah. better. Uh, ones that you didn't know you loved until you saw their old school mascot on a shirt. Case in point, the Tulane Angry Wave that I am wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about their drop this week in Zaga? Good lord, that's incredible uh, stuff right there. <laughs> I'm getting really upset that oh. so many schools with dog mascots have amazing
2: old school dog mascot logos. The, so you're wearing the powder blue uh, Angry Wave for people that are on the audio. They just <laughs> dropped an Auburn uh, basketball uh, the Peacock Peacock logo that is just like, uh I can't I can't I can't bring myself to order another like power five <laughs> schools merchandise. <laughs> but that is just a cool looking shirt.
1: It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, this is what they do. they They lure you in and they just kill you with amazing brands. Uh, and just amazing designs. So, if you want a piece of this action, go to Homefield Apparel. Uh, that's H O M E F I E L D A P P A R E L dot com. Uh, grab some of your favorite stuff and use promo code Noons for ten percent off your first order. Uh, you will make sure that you support the wonderful folks at Homefield Apparel and let them know that you know you listen to us and uh, our sales pitch was good enough for them to continue sponsoring our show. So uh, thanks to everybody. Uh, thanks to the friends at Home Field Apparel for sponsoring us. And thanks, as always, to those who have gone out and bought so many Syracuse shirts from them that they continue to sponsor us. Uh, so we really appreciate that.
2: And Skylar, yeah. we'll, uh, Skylar, Skylar in the chat, we'll, uh, we'll put in a good word with, uh, with Connor if we can to see if they can take the hoodie, the hoodie logo and put it on a uh, crew neck for you. Hmm, <laughs> that would be a good one. Because right now I think uh, the yeah. only crew neck is the tiny Otto with the big Syracuse, right? I think that is correct.
0: Yeah.
1: They definitely could use another one of those, uh as somebody who does like crew necks. Uh and especially likes Homefield's crew necks. Now, my question is I, I, actually shaved,
2: I shaved my mustache just so I fit in with the vintage look of Homefield apparel.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say my uh the mustache is fantastic. Uh, my my real question, not mustache, was do you think that Jim Beheim knows what home field apparel is? And if so, do you think that he says and Keith Smart every time he sees home field apparel because he knows the Indiana connection?
2: I'm thinking no, but I also no. don't know if Jim Beheim would realize that this is vintage apparel and not just when he started coaching. Yeah. <laughs> That's also fair.
0: Would a Syracuse <laughs> color still. Green and pink when Jim Bayheim started coaching. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Vita, Vita, Boeheim, Vita was the mascot.
1: <laughs> it feels that way. And for those that are uh, have been paying attention to Syracuse basketball this week, it feels like Jim Beheim may have made his first concession since those first early days of coaching this week. Things um, happened. Good Lord. Holy. So let's start at the beginning of the week. And Do you Syracuse, want
0: a roller
2: coaster? Because this is how you get a roller coaster. We're going to go to <laughs> Pittsburgh. We're, we're going to go to Kennywood, re- which has. We're
0: going re- to recap the year that was this week in Syracuse <laughs> basketball.
1: Uh, it started badly. We went, we went down to Pittsburgh, uh, a team that Syracuse already beat once this year and is not good. And Syracuse lost to Pitt, um, which is patently un- unacceptable this year. Yes, ca- Steve. Ca- called it yeah you
2: did call that last week is... I did call that
1: <laughs> I forgot to tweet
0: direct all your complaints to Dutch at Dutch heart
2: yep yeah uh,
0: oversight yeah. on my part oversight
1: <laughs> you, you really got to make sure that Steve gets it when he gives a basketball take that's right um syracuse scored 53 points in that loss um they had they allowed Pitt, they were winning at halftime and then much like so many other losses this year um they let Pitt get back into this one uh in the second half and Pitt outscored syracuse 40 to 25 um pit uh syracuse in the second Except, half if contacts syracuse scored 55 points in the second
0: half on saturday <laughs>
1: And you know what a big difference was? In the f- second half of the pit game, Syracuse shot 28% from the field and 7% from three. Um, that is not a typo. They were one for 14 from three for 7%. Um, on the day, they were six for 31. So I don't know what Jim Beheim did between now and then in terms of coaching them on shooting, but a lot changed. But before we get to what on the court changed, a lot off the court happened. Um, Christian, you were pretty much the dude writing all of this stuff this week. Um, there were some comments made by, by James Arthur Beheim this week across multiple mediums that felt like he was not necessarily seeing the light of day, but he was publicly admitting things that we have been saying all year long. Yeah, it kind of felt like that. Like, pet
0: game was the, like the final nail in the coffin for for Bayheim. Like to, like, to like finally admit it in public. I think he knew in the back of his head, like, oh, this is probably not going to go well. And he said, like, and then it's final. Yeah, okay, this actually isn't going well. And so a lot of this is coming from his stuff on uh on Syracuse radio, on ESPN Radio Syracuse, and uh, from Q Sports Talk um we've got some good friends over there um and they do great work and they held a the big one that the chunk of the comments come from is from uh a Q&A that uh Q Sports Talk actually did on Thursday night um off the field um the the, the big one that for pertinent this season um, and the one we'll talk a lot about because it directly affected the Wake Forest game, is that he said that Benny Williams on Thursday had the best day in practice that he's ever had. And he knew it. And that led to him being the first player off the bench, which was great. And everyone loved that. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that he might have had... Oh, I'm sorry, he didn't have that... Um, yeah, he had the second most minutes off the bench other than Frank Anselm, who probably wouldn't have gotten as many minutes if off the bench if uh, Jesse Edwards wasn't in uh, chronic foul trouble, as always. Um,
2: I was going to say something new and original there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's a positive sign
0: because we we had this discussion in the Slack uh, that Benny is slowly turning, not slowly turning, is already that type of player who the fans want to see more of, because they know his potential is sky high and they want to continue seeing him on the floor because he could unlock at any moment and so it's almost a joy to and a relief in the carrier them when Benny sees the floor so the fact that Bayham's now start, slowly starting to see him improve it's it's a big thing, and that is the that's the main on the field on the court thing for this season. That really caught my eye. There's another one for future seasons that we could talk about in a bit, but that bending one was the big one.
1: Yeah, Steve, you've, not to beat a dead horse here, but you've seen Jim Beheim do this a lot more than Christian and I have with insert player that I want to do more of in practice, but we, the public, don't get to see practice. So you're just going to take my word for it that he doesn't deserve to be playing and he gets to live in my Mm doghouse. And oftentimes players who are in that role are young players, um, but they don't necessarily come in with the same amount of hype that Benny Williams did. And this is also the first time that this is happening in the era of modern college basketball where you need high end youth talent to kind of take you to the next level. Which has never really been the case, even though that is exactly how Jim Beheim won his only title. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just curious was as some- time there. <laughs> <laughs> of his time, oh, God. As somebody who has just seen this cycle play out mo- enough times that it is somewhat predictable, what makes this situation different, and what has been, I guess, not necessarily the most interesting but the thing about this week and specifically the weight game where Benny was the first off that like, f- I felt different to me, but I'm not exactly sure why.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, Benny, well, Benny's in the doghouse. It's not like the Paul Harris doghouse That was just first one berated. As soon as anything happened, immediately sitting next to Bayheim, like quick hook, you know, we've seen the quick hook. God knows how many times, um, I still remember like Fab Melo's freshman year where he would start and then the first dead ball, he was already off. And uh, I think that was the Daywon Coleman hook too. Um, That was the Daywon Coleman hook. Yeah. That
0: was definitely the Daywon Coleman hook.
2: So, I mean, we know Jim doesn't have the most patience with some players on occasion. Um, But this, it's it's weird because there seems to be some growth. Uh, Usually it's like, you see the same thing all season, and then next year, things change. And, it's, and it may just be his hand being forced because of the lack of any, I mean, lack of scholarship players for <laughs> completely. Uh, that he has to, you know, keep some people uh, moving in and out of the doghouse. So uh, just to see the growth in season, um, mo- both from how Beham's using the bench and to a degree from the, the guys coming off the bench is a benefit. I mean, Samir got – I mean, he definitely improved over the course. He's fitting more into what we need him to be in the offense, um, showed that he can actually make some layups, which helps. Um, and then, you know, Frank has, uh, like Christian said, you know, had some good minutes this last week. Um, And then Benny is Benny. And apparently if he's looking better in practice and like you said, it did feel a little different when we saw him after those comments. I don't know if it was just like psychosomatic from hearing Jim say, Oh, he's playing better to watching him play better. But there's, there's a change in things for better or for worse. I think
1: I'm done rambling. No, 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 I, I think it's I just think it's interesting, like because I this there is a lot of talk this week, and I think that there's a lot of fans um, I, I'm just gonna say it. Uh, I was trying to think of a really nice way to say this instead of just saying it. I think this is the most polarized I've ever seen the Syracuse fan base in general. Yeah. Um, the divide is yeah. is very deep and very clear. You're either on the side of Beheim gets to decide how he ends his legacy. Or and he can stay as long as he wants to do that, or you're on the side of he's lost it and he needs to uh, get GTFO as soon as possible, and if he won't leave willingly, Wild Hack needs to do it for him. And I think ultimately the answer is probably somewhere more nuanced and in the middle of all this.
2: Um, Things can be two things, as as we've stolen from the... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the best soccer or the total soccer show total soccer show. Years. yeah sorry um no best soccer show is recording in ten minutes if you want to listen to that after us uh but they uh like beheim can be old and past it but also like you can't fire him so it's like hmm. he's still adapting we're still seeing him change things in season. I know I said it last week that I you know I I feel personally that it's probably been time for a while but you know you can't argue with James Arthur Bayheim and what he's done for Syracuse so it's it's a lot more nuanced than just all right send him on his merry way or he's here until perpetuity Yeah and I I think
1: What's what's been most frustrating to fans about this is that and I, I wrote about a little bit about this um, on my on my Substack this week is just your for I, I know that this group, especially we have seen the writing on the wall, like there are systemic issues with how Syracuse has performed over the last five years. And, um you know, Christian, I'm sorry, you came in right as this train was going off the rails. Um, but like in an era where sports commentary is so process oriented, it really does feel like people who have been screaming that something about Syracuse's process is broken is using this opportunity as like not necess- as like a victory lap and as validation that that's the case. And I'm not necessarily saying I disagree that the process is broken. What I will say is that doing the victory lap, isn't going to change anything. But we're also at the point where I think a lot of people just assume that enough media outcry is going to convince the program to change the way that they handled James Arthur Beheim. And I I hate to be the guy to say this if you still believe it, but like, if you still, if you don't know this, your opinion does not matter to James Arthur (laughs) Beheim. There is. What? (laughs) If there is one person in Central New York who does not care about what you think about Jim Beheim, it is Jim Beheim. And while we've seen time and time again he is reading this stuff, and it does seem to affect him on some kind of level, he is not going to be the person who's going to see fan outcry and then go, you know what? They have a point.
2: <laughs> yep, you've got a point there.
1: <laughs> it's just very, it's just very funny to me. And I you, about that. Yep. And you know what? You know what my favorite part is? After all of that, after all of that week, what does Syracuse come out and do on Saturday, Christian? <laughs>
0: Somehow decide, hey Wake, I see you're seventeen and four, 17 and four this year.
1: Let's quickly and swiftly change that. <laughs> um they they decimated Wake. Uh ninety-four to seventy-two. they didn't quite uh, decimate Wake, they decimated Wake in the second half. Yes. Um, do you have those second half stats up? I or do. Would I you do. like to tell me what those second half stats are?
0: Yeah. Let's go for. It. Let's. Who do you want first? Do you want Wake first? Or do you want uh, Do you want Syracuse
1: first? Let's go with. Uh, let's go with how badly did Wake play in the second half first?
0: Oh well, there's, there's three, we can go into a lot of that. Uh, so Wake in um, the second half. Uh, the shooting, the field goal wasn't awful. I mean, 42% isn't great, but not awful. And 33% from three isn't great, but not awful. Um, the turnovers were a problem, and they were a problem. And then they were a problem. I believe at some point it was 11-2 to two at some point in the second half. And I, that might have been the final uh, of of turnovers in the second half. I think it actually was. Yeah, 11-2. to two in the second half, Wake Forest turnovers to Syracuse turnovers. That's really where the game was decided. Mm-hmm. To think that the game would be decided for Syracuse this year in a turnover battle is, quite frankly, amazing. And the big thing is what those turnovers led to. It led to transition opportunities. It led to points off those turnovers. Because it gave, it gave Syracuse one of its best weapons. Have go run down the field. Have Buddy Beheim sit on an elbow and then get the ball to him. Because for some reason, everyone forgets Buddy Beheim on the elbow in a fast break and he how? gets a free open three. It always happens, it, but how? Exactly. Uh, and that's exactly what happened to him to kickstart his second half search. And the first half, he was actually doing some pretty good things by getting off screens well and using a, some some tricky off-ball movement to get free and take the smallest of spaces to really start finding the ball getting through the net. But it's really that second half, those transition opportunities, where he would just sit on the right elbow and wait for the ball to come to him. And it just went through. So that was the big turning point, was Syracuse winning the turnover battle decisively, not giving up the ball themselves, and then... Getting the ball to buddy and letting him do his thing.
2: Yeah, and it, it seems like I guess uh, it should it shouldn't surprise me, but like somehow we lose to Pit and then that happens. Like where where is again things things can be two things. We can be the team that lost to Pit, and then also the team that beat Wake because when you're shooting as hot as we did. And Buddy is dropping 30, and people completely forget about him, like Christian was just saying. Um, there's a, a good chance we can hang with literally anyone if we're dropping shots like that, uh, outside of maybe Duke in the ACC, because, well, whatever. Um, but we can also be the team that looked like hot garbage earlier in the week. And that's a really weird headspace to wrap your – Wrap your head around. I I think one of the things that I've
1: really come to realize is that this week showed um, that this Syracuse team, when they can't shoot the ball, like what we saw earlier in the week, cannot beat anybody. Um, the back half of the week showed that when Syracuse is shooting the ball at an elite level, they can beat anybody. um The different the the problem for Syracuse is that you're going to live somewhere in the middle there, and We've seen what happens when Syracuse lives in the middle, which is a very mixed bag that is reliant on a lot of things going right in a very particular set of circumstances. Um, And I think that this is, again, just goes back to kind of what we talked about all year round and what Ken Palm and all the advanced numbers kind of bear out. Syracuse can be a very good offensive team. It's a very, very bad defensive team. And... They're going to need better than average, close to very good elite offense in order to win games consistently. And we haven't seen the offense be consistent this year in any way, shape or form. And I think there's a lot of people who are going to look at this Wake Forest game and hope that it is the beginning of of a role for them. And maybe it is. But. That's asking for a lot of stars to align. Although, I texted Steve, I think I said this in the Slack, or I texted somebody this, I, f- I forget if it was you, Steve. Um, I feel like it was, where I said that this might be I've the been. beginning of the ult- of Beheim's ultimate troll job. Like, where, after everything that's happened this week, after all the talk about his legacy, <laughs> Beheim is just like, alright, cool, now we're just not gonna lose. <laughs> so when does Sean start drafting the apology <laughs> the apology letter this year would bur- would burn the internet down just every you, there would be so many hate clicks there would be so many everything um and and Steve we were talking Christian and I were talking about this about it, uh, beforehand but Christian if you have the schedule handy there's a really good chance that Syracuse could set the stage for this to happen because their schedule for the next few weeks is very acc A.K.A. bad. Wednesday at NC State.
0: Uh, Saturday, February 5th. At home versus Louisville against a team whose previous head coach was just seen celebrating the
1: Bengals. (laughs) He is so happy to be fired.
0: (laughs) February 8th, Tuesday at Boston College. February 12th, Saturday at Virginia Tech. Week break. February 19th, Saturday, versus Boston College at home, Monday, versus Virginia Tech, before you end off the season with Notre Dame, Duke, North Carolina, Miami. Those last four games, and maybe the Virginia Tech game, pretty tough, but those five games prior to that, at NC State versus Louisville, at Boston College, at Virginia Tech, versus Boston College, very winnable for Syracuse.
1: Yeah, I think you mean Georgia Tech there. Um as in as the last game going before the five game break. Um I think they have uh Georgia Tech unless my schedule is wrong. Um,
0: maybe, or maybe I just said it wrong because Yeah. Uh, I, yeah.
1: Cuz I think I I would argue that Georgia Tech's probably pretty good this year. Inconsistent but yeah. pretty good. Um but yeah, NC State incredibly inconsistent. Virginia Tech Isn't Georgia inc- Tech bottom of the ACC. They might be this year, but I just feel like I remember Aren't seeing they? them Early in the year, actually, let's. You know what? Uh,
0: I'm, I'm looking. Uh, t- time out. Let's look this off. Um, I was going
1: to say, uh, Chris. Jesus, George- uh, uh, Kevin's ACC uh, power rankings come out tomorrow, which is usually where I base things off. Oh yeah, Georgia Tech's the worst team in the ACC. Lol. Never they could win mind. Six
0: straight. <laughs> Never mind. Um, um about that. <laughs> wow. Um, so again, the second worst team in the league is is NC State um the fourth worst team in the league is uh virginia tech third and worst is Pitt,
2: who we lost to is yeah,
0: that yeah and somehow and somehow syracuse and boston college have the same acc record
1: so again going to back to your point like basically the the next six games that syracuse plays or back to my original point uh the next six games that syracuse plays against is against the bottom half of the acc if you were going to theoretically build momentum off of that shooting performance and the Wake Forest game and go on a run, this is when you would do it. And if Syracuse won six games in a row, the record would be 16-11, and 11, which screams bubble. Just absolutely screams bubble going into the last four games of the year against top-half ACC opponents.
0: <laughs> now, if I remember correctly... um Syracuse didn't make this t- the tournament this year that I'm looking this up, but if I remember correctly, uh, yeah, uh, Syracuse went into a pretty important Duke game at home at the end of February with a 16 and 12 record. That was in 2017 against a number 10 Duke team that John Gowan decided to destroy the dome roof with.
1: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is going to happen again, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Uh, and if you want and if you want to remember how that bubble discussion ended up, Syracuse was the first team out
1: again. So, I'm telling you ultimate troll job ultimate so, troll job coming here so
0: so we could very well find ourselves back in a position where this happens again.
1: <laughs> this team is so stupid, <laughs> yep, yep, oh my yep. god it's it's. Listen, no matter what happens, you cannot fault this program for giving us something to talk about. They deliver <laughs> every single year. <laughs> begrudgingly, yes. Uh we didn't at, we didn't even talk of lax. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this is uh we're uh, I was we're going to wrap up real quick. Um but before we do, we got to end it on a bad note because that's what we do here. Just kidding. Uh we don't like to do this, but we didn't get to the lax discussion earlier. Uh, There was a huge piece of injury news that came out of the Men's lax program this week. Uh, Christian, as our lax expert, please take it away. (laughs) Well, he took himself away. Oh, oh, that's... uh, If you're watching on the live stream, uh, it literally... I did not... That was not a bit. That was not timed. I'm assuming that he lost connection real quick. Yep, I think so. And I think he's coming back right now. Uh, as I frantically open up the Inside Lacrosse Twitter.
0: Yep. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. I, I, yeah, we can hear you. Hey, there you we go. We're back.
0: My Discord crashed. Uh, of course, it always does.
1: <laughs> uh, what happened with lacrosse this week, and why is it bad? <laughs> uh, Steve, sorry. Owen Hiltz. Yeah, uh, reportedly injured. I
2: don't want to um, talk about
0: it. No, I don't want to talk about it that much either. We have to, though. Um, Syracuse uh, scrimmaged Michigan yesterday, and reportedly in that scrimmage, two things actually happened. Um, uh, Well, three things. This is all uh, being reported by Terry Foy and Ty Sanders from uh, inside the cross. Um, Hiltz is out for a significant time um, with an upper body injury. a freshman defender, uh, Nick Kamako, I think that's how you pronounce it, who was projected to maybe be a starter at close defense for Syracuse, is most likely going to start the beginning of the season. And then also Syracuse also got crushed, apparently, in the scrimmage against Michigan, which isn't great. So the big one is obviously Hiltz, because Hiltz last year was the leading goal scorer. right? So... Yeah, we're at the point now where Syracuse. While it's an exciting time to be a Syracuse men's lacrosse fan, with all the questions you had on defense, and now you have a ton of questions on the attack now, because the only person with attack experience that you probably are going to start an attack is Owen Siebold. Now you have options now. If you're Syracuse, you bring Griffin Cook back to attack, maybe uh, do. Do you try out Leon Ferris, who looked good in spurts last year? Do you take one of your excellent midfielders and take advantage of your midfielder depth? and maybe move someone like Brendan Curry up to attack? It, it's tough, but Syracuse is going to have to figure it out quickly because the start of the season ain't that far away.
2: No, and that's a big hit that we didn't really want to take. No. but it's,
1: it's just... Uh... Every year. There's there's always one big lacrosse injury. This is just the this year's version of it, and it's a shame that it happened, and it is going to put, you know, an already difficult season just got that much more t- difficult.
2: No, we're good now. We got the women's injury out of the way, we got the men's injury out of the way, and uh, we're going to win the <laughs> netty. Problem solved. Yeah, you just got to get the injuries out of the
1: system early in the season. That's the Syracuse fan mentality right there. Yeah. Um, always fun. Uh, On that wonderful note, we're going to wrap up this week's edition of the Troy Noons is an absolute podcast, live cast, every cast. Uh, With all of that news and update, we're glad that you guys and everybody else who listens to us that you stuck with us. Um, As always, it's Steve, myself, Andy, and Christian here every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on Twitch live streaming. If you want to join us, go to the Noons Magician Twitch channel, same name as the blog. Make sure you. Uh, follow us on there, get notified every time we go live, which will be for these live casts and some guest interviews that I'm sure will start lining up again uh, now that Kevin's in charge and has all the fun hookups to the alumni around the Syracuse world. If Our you're, season
2: content, yay!
1: <laughs> if you're uh, listening to this on your favorite podcasting uh, app of choice, make sure you rate us review us, subscribe. Uh, That really helps us stay high in the rankings and helps the algorithms determine that we are indeed a fun show to listen to. Uh, So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, If you're listening or watching this in the embed in the article that goes up on Monday, thank you for visiting the site. We always appreciate the support Uh, and we have a lot of really fun content coming out today, tomorrow, all week long, as per usual. So, with all of that out of the way, I think that for the first time in a few weeks, we can actually say this with no sarcasm intended, uh, but go Orange. Go Orange.
0: Go Orange.